0: Good morning, Sun West. Uh, welcome again to Church at Home. And I hope that you're doing well, and it's good to meet together, even if we're meeting together uh, digitally in, in this forum. Uh, but I hope that you've been encouraged as we've gone through the Book of Mark. And as we've said, Mark has written this book uh, to encourage a church that was going through a, a tough time. And what a great time for us to be reading through the Book of Mark together and being being encouraged by it uh, together. We're going to dive right in this morning. Uh, the topic, uh, the title for this morning is From the Mountain to the Valley. And I love the mountains and I'm going to refer to the mountains a few times here this morning. Uh, now that the weather's warmed up, uh, it's been uh, great for us to get out of our house and uh, to go explore uh, the beautiful mountains that we have around here in Calgary. Uh, and so I hope you're getting an opportunity to enjoy those as well. But our main text that we're looking at is from Mark chapter nine verses one to thirteen, and it's referred to as the Transfiguration. Uh, what a powerful text that this is! There's so many things uh, that we could talk about, but we're going to narrow in on a few. Uh, but as a point of reference, last week Colton mentioned uh, that the, how the the book of Mark, up until this point, has been moving very, very quickly. The word immediately has been used uh, over 40 times, you know, this happened and this happened and it's been fast moving and and Jesus has, his popularity has been growing. He's been ascending, there's excitement, there's crowds gathering and it's all kind of coming to a head and this is the pinnacle of that ascension, of that movement. This is literally the mountaintop pinnacle of this portion of Mark. The book hinges at this point. This is a hinge passage, so it's going all the way to the top, and now we'll see from this point on uh, that it's going to go from the top of the mountain down towards Jerusalem, Uh, and that has implications not only on uh, what where Jesus actually was going, but on what that symbolically means. So the two things I want to focus on this morning, out of this passage, is how we read the Bible and how we follow Jesus. Uh, Two main points: How do we read the Bible? How do we follow Jesus? I think this this transfiguration story has a lot to speak to those things, so uh, before we jump into the first one, let's read the text together, mark chapter nine uh, verses one to thirteen and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses and they were talking with Jesus and Peter said to Jesus Rabbi it is good that we are here let us make three tents one for you one for Moses and one for Elijah for he did not know what to say for they were terrified uh, and so that's typical of Peter doesn't know what to say so he just says something uh, and a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud this is my beloved son listen to him and suddenly they looked around They no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And as they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why did the scribes say that Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things, and how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. And I'll just mention it now because we won't get into it much later, but Elijah, uh, Jesus is comparing Elijah to John the Baptist, and we see this reference at the beginning of Mark in Mark chapter 1, when Mark has actually set up. John the Baptist and his ministry as a preparatory ministry for Jesus. He came in a way, uh, like was prophesied, that Elijah would prepare the way uh, for Yahweh for the, the day of the Lord. And so Jesus is saying right now that Elijah has come uh, in, in in a sense because John the Baptist has prepared the way for Yahweh for the Lord himself, which is Jesus. And the reader knows that. We were introduced to that at the very beginning in Mark chapter 1. We know that Jesus is the Messiah. We know that Jesus is the Son of God. We know that Jesus is the Lord himself. But the disciples, we need to remember, did not know that up until this point. And so the, the reader knows something uh, that the disciples don't know. But John did come as an Elijah figure to prepare the way for Yahweh, prepare, prepare the way for Jesus. So uh, in the story... Uh, It's likely that the mountain that's being referred to is Mount Hermon. And uh, Colton mentioned last week that the story was taking uh, place in Caesarea Philippi, uh, which is here. And Mount Hermon is just a little north of Caesarea Philippi. So Jesus has gone up Mount Hermon. And here's a picture uh, of Mount Hermon, a little bit of a pixelated picture. Uh, But we can see from the south looking north uh, this, this grand mountain that's there. And there's still snow on the picture here. Um, And so this would have likely been the place uh, where this transfiguration story was taking place. Now there's echoes all over the story. Uh, As we know, Mark likes to kind of bring in pieces from the Old Testament and other stories to help make his theological point. What is he trying to say? And there's lots of uh, references and echoes here from the Exodus 24 and Exodus 34. um, 24 and 34. Uh, And the first one being, uh, Mark mentioned six days, and six days... You know, scholars are like, it's kind of an odd thing for Mark to say because uh, Mark doesn't give a lot of references to time. And why is he doing that? Well, in Exodus 24, uh, there's a reference also to six days of how the cloud actually uh, was on uh, Mount Sinai. Uh, for six days. And so Mark mentioned six days as well. Both of these events happen on two different mountains. The presence of a special group of people is there. Uh, There's radiance from the central figure of the story. Uh, There's fear from the onlookers. There's reference to the Shekinah glory of God. And the Shekinah glory of God, uh, the cloud, uh, is just referencing the very presence of the Lord himself in a cloud form. And in both stories, there's a voice that speaks from the cloud, so there's lots of similarities between what's happening here in Mark 9 and what happens in Exodus 24 and 34. Uh, but there's also some differences, and we'll, as we've seen, uh, Mark brings similarities and he contrasts those with differences. And it's in the it's in that contrast that we begin to see some of the pieces uh, that Mark is intending us to see. So let's look a little bit closely. Um, and after after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. His his inner circle within his inner circle of the disciples. And we saw that these are the same three guys that he took to heal Jairus' daughter. If you remember that story, he took these three same. And so these three guys seem to have a special relationship with Jesus that is unique from the other disciples. And he led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before him. And that were transfigured as where we actually get the word metamorphosis from uh, he he was changed before them and it was it was less that Jesus was changed and more that the disciples saw who Jesus actually was uh, whatever was hidden from their perspective or understanding of who Jesus was that veil was taken off and they saw him for who he was and so he was changed before them and his clothes became radiant intensely white as no one on earth Could bleach them. So a couple of differences um, was that we know that Moses, when he came down from the mountain in Exodus twenty-four or Exodus thirty-four, was glowing uh, because he saw the glory of the Lord. Uh, But notice that in Mark chapter nine, that Jesus, the glow. That Jesus has is not because he was before the glory of the Lord, but the, the the glory is actually coming from himself. His clothes became radiant. He was transfigured. The glowing, the white, it all came from Jesus. He was the source of that. And it was Jesus who himself, like I said, was transfigured. And he was intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. And so, in other words, Mr. Clean has nothing on Jesus. There was nothing on earth. Uh, that could make something glow and become so white as this, this, was, this was beyond, earth. There was, there was something heavenly that was happening in this moment, uh, and even Mr. Clean couldn't touch it. Anyways, uh, and so, and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus, and Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us that we, we are here. So let me just pause here, talk a little bit about Elijah and Moses. These are significant figures uh, for the Jewish people in their story of how they understood God, how God had led them, how God had revealed himself to them. And Elijah is a prototypical uh, prophet. He's often seen as you know, the prophet among the prophets. And like I mentioned before, in Malachi 4, it talks about Elijah being the one that would prepare the way for Yahweh. Um, Moses was the lawgiver. Gi- he was esteemed uh Higher than anyone else in in the in the Jewish mindset, because he was the one that actually went on the mountain, got the law of God, the Torah of God, and gave it to his gave it to the people. Uh, Moses, Moses was also seen as the deliverer and rescuer because he he came into Egypt and rescued uh, the Jewish people who were slaves under Pharaoh and brought them into the Promised Land, and so. Uh, on top of that, the Old Testament is often referred to as the Law and the Prophets. If you were to summarize uh, you know, the content that you have in the Old Testament, you have the Law, the Torah, which Moses gave, and the Prophets, which is represented uh, by Elijah. And so scholars uh, sometimes have talked about why, why Elijah, why Moses. Uh, well, I think there's a couple of reasons. One, Elijah, as we've seen and heard, represents... Uh, John the Baptist, which Jesus refers to. Moses represents Jesus uh, as a new deliverer, a new rescuer. Uh, But also beyond that, I think Moses and Elijah represent uh, the previous revelation of God to his people the revelation of God through the law and through the prophets. Now, Look what it says here. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And so obviously there's an echo of Jesus' baptism here that we we read in Mark chapter 1. In Mark chapter 1, God speaks and says to Jesus, you are my son. And now God is speaking to the disciples and saying, This is my son. Listen to him. And so at that time, when this happened, they no longer saw Elijah. They no longer saw Moses. They only saw Jesus. So what are, what's happening here? Well, I think Moses and Elijah brought light only as the moon brings light. I don't know if you've ever gone for a walk at nighttime uh, when you, uh, you know, outside of the city when the only light you have is coming from the stars and the moon. Uh, I think that Moses and Elijah brought light. They brought perspective. They brought um, a revelation of who God was. Uh, But it didn't come from themselves. They were only reflecting a greater glory that was beyond themselves. Moses reflected the glory of God like the moon reflects the light of the sun. But Jesus produces the glory of God. He produces it. It actually comes from himself because he is God. The glory of God emanates from him. He's the source of it. The unsurpassable, unapproachable glory of God comes from Jesus. What this means is Jesus does not point to the glory of God like Elijah. He doesn't point to the glory of God like Moses. Uh, He doesn't point to the glory of God like every other founder of every other religion and every other prophet. He is the glory of God in human form. Now pay attention to what the author of Hebrews says. At the beginning of Hebrews, it says, In the past, God spoke to us through our ancestors, through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by his son, whom he pointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact repre- representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Wow. Jesus is God. Jesus is the full revelation of who God is. So what does this mean? It means a whole lot. Uh, For example, if Moses says to practice capital punishment by stoning certain sinners, which it says in the Torah, and then Jesus says, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone, who do we listen to? Well, God says, this is my son, listen to him. If Elijah calls down fire from heaven to consume the soldiers that were sent to arrest him, and Jesus says, love your enemies, which one do we listen to? Well, God says, this is my son, listen to him. And when God said that, Elijah and Moses disappeared. And, you know, I have I think I've gotten a little bit of trouble in the past because of my, my perspective on this, um, but to be very clear, uh, I'm a follower of Jesus. Uh, there's a reason why I don't. I'm not Jewish, not because I don't believe in the Old Testament, but because I believe the Old Testament was given to us to fully reveal who God was in the person of Jesus, the Messiah. When we think through the Bible, um, we think about wars, we think about conquests, genocides, capital punishment, we think about slavery, we think about women being property, all of these things in some sense are biblical. They're biblical. You know, I, I could find and support any one of those postures for you uh, from the Bible. And we live in a time in history where the Bible is being used as a platform to support personal and political agendas. But let's not be mistaken. The written word was given to us to reveal the living word who is Jesus. That is the role that it plays. I do not want to be known as a Bible follower. I love the Bible. I spend... Uh, So many hours studying and soaking in the Bible. Uh, But I do not want to be known as a Bible follower. I want to be known as a Jesus follower. At at my funeral, at the end of my life, I hope there's a few people there. Uh, I hope I maybe made a difference in a few people's life. But I hope that what they say at the end of my life was not that, well, he knew the Bible really, really well. I hope what they say is that he knew Jesus really, really well. That he followed Jesus really well. Because God doesn't call us to follow the Bible. He actually calls us to listen to his son and to follow his son. That is the point of the written word, to reveal the living word. And so, yes, we go to the written word. We go to the Bible. uh, But the Bible is a signpost that actually points us to the Son of God, to the Messiah, to Yahweh himself, revealed in the person of Jesus. And so that's how we read the Bible, with that in mind, with that perspective in mind. And I believe the transfiguration story, God puts an exclamation mark on that point, saying, Moses had a role to play, yes. Elijah had a role to play, yes. But they have disappeared. The voice that you need to listen to, the person you need to listen to is my son, it's Jesus. Now let's talk about what this means for how we follow Jesus. In verse 4, it says, and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You see, the disciples are having this mountaintop, literally this mountaintop experience. And I love mountaintop experiences. I love the mountains. I mentioned that we, I've gotten to spend some time in the mountains in the last couple of weeks. Here's a couple of pictures. You know, I was riding with my. Uh, With my son Joel a couple of weeks ago, uh, and then even last night with my three boys, we were out uh, for a ride in Canaanaskis Country, and we got up high in the mountains. uh, And it's awesome. I I wish I could stay there and uh, live in those mountaintop experiences, uh, but I need to come back home at some point. Uh, But I love the mountains. I I go there every chance I get. Um, But when we think about mountaintop experiences symbolically, I can think of things in my life uh, that were significant for me, uh, mission trips that I've been on that have transformed who I am and the way I understand God. Uh, I spent you know, half a dozen years working at a summer camp after um, my whole life growing up as a kid going to camp. And those weeks at camp as a kid and those summers at camp uh, in different areas of leadership uh, – really transform me I I was in that that bubble so to speak where it was like an incubator uh, where God just grew stuff in me and through me uh in a way and at a speed that hasn't really happened anywhere else in my life. I remember the three years I spent in Bible college in a community of people that were seeking after God and worshiping and learning about him and studying the word and being in community and encouraging one another, spurring one another on. Those were mountaintop experiences for me. I think of moments with my wife, with my kids, or moments in our West family that I could point to that said those were mountaintop experiences that changed me, that made me who I am, that change the way I think about God, that change the way I understand myself and my identity as a, as a son of God. And it's human nature, I think, to want to make what happens on those mountaintops, uh, make those situations permanent. I, I, I think we can relate to the disciples here. Uh, where they say, uh, you know, God's good for us to be here. Let's set up three tents. You know, what are they, what are they saying? What are they doing? Well, they're trying to make this amazing moment permanent. Uh, and the word that's actually being used uh, here when they say tents is the word tabernacle. Uh, because in the Jewish mindset, right, that God's glory actually dwelt in the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was this permanent place and space in the world that they could go to uh, where they knew that God's uh, unique presence was going to be. And so what are they trying to do in this moment? They're, they're trying to say, let's keep this. Let's, let, let's make this thing permanent. The glory of God, you know, let's, let's try and hang on to it. Let, let, let's keep it here. Uh, but I think we're challenged in this story to recognize that Jesus um, gives a mountaintop experience to his disciples But he doesn't stay there. It doesn't stay there. And we need to ask the question, why? Like, why did Jesus actually allow these three guys uh, to see this, to experience this? Well, I think he allowed it to happen because of what's going to happen next. He's going to go from the mountain to the valley. He's going to go from this pinnacle point in his ministry, the highest point of ascension, both literally and figuratively, to the lowest point He's going to descend to the depths of hell itself. And he knows that it's going to be a challenge for the disciples to continue to follow him. And so I believe that mountaintop experiences actually prepare us for our ministry, for our mission, for our journey to actually follow Jesus to where he wants to bring us. He allows us glimpses of his glory, glimpses of his beauty, these these things that form us, that change us, And then he invites us to follow him down the mountain. Look what happens. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had been risen from the dead. Why? Because the people will misunderstand my glory if they don't understand it in the context of the crucifixion. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. So this revelation makes it clear that Jesus was greater than Moses, Jesus greater than Elijah. Uh, Yet he will enter his glory through suffering and death. The conversation during their descent brings the story back to the necessity of suffering, to the journey towards the valley, to the journey towards the, the cross. Mountaintop experiences are so important. I cherish them. I love them. But they're intended to give me a new strength and courage and faith and perspective to descend with Jesus and to follow Him to whatever depths He might be leading us to go to. Now, I wasn't sure if I was going to share this, but I was um, I was impacted by a, a Facebook um, message. Uh, that I that I listened to this past week uh, by a friend of mine. I'm going to call him a friend. He would he would have no idea probably who I am, uh, but his name is Bob Eckblad. Some of you would know Bob Eckblad if you've been around Sunwest for a while because Bob uh, visited us. Uh, you know, he spent a week with us uh, quite a number of years ago, and I got the opportunity of being Bob's chauffeur and showing him around the city. He didn't he didn't come with a car, and so I picked him up from the airport and I picked him for lunch and uh, and I got to pick his brain. And, and Bob's awesome. He he leads a prison ministry in Washington. Um, and and he had a powerful time of just ministering to us as a church community uh, for that week and teaching us what it means to be people of justice but also people to walk uh, full of the spirit uh, and, and seeing God move in powerful and supernatural ways. Uh, but but he had a Facebook message last week and, and perhaps we'll we'll link the message uh, it's I think it's about seven minutes um, on our social media feeds this week so you can see what I'm referring to, but I'm going to summarize it really quickly and I'm just going to plagiarize, uh, Bob, uh, I'm sure he'd be fine with it. Um, and if I get it wrong, Bob, I'm sorry. But but he basically refers to um, a theology of the seven mountains of influence. Uh, and and I, I've been exposed to this this teaching actually quite a number of times. Uh, and I don't think there's anything inherently <laughs> wrong with it. Uh, except maybe what it assumes and, and what we assume when we listen to it. And, and so the thinking basically goes that there's, there's seven places of influence in culture uh, that God is calling us uh, as Christians to ascend to to influence our world. You know, religion, family, education, government, media, arts and entertainment, business. Um, and, and Bob mentions this because uh, Bob's point is that the role of the follower of Jesus is not to ascend to bring change from the top down. And I was listening to that, I'm like, uh, amen, Bob. Like The change that Jesus brings, um, yes, we know that Jesus uh, you know, is the King of kings, Lord of lords, that he's the source of all glory, but he did not stay there, and he did not bring change in this world from the top down. The gospel itself is the descent of God into human form and all the way to the cross. That God himself brings change from the bottom up. And, and we can we might be tempted to think uh, in terms of the this, this seven mountains of influence, that, that God's plan for all of us is to ascend the corporate ladder, the ladders of our culture to actually bring uh, change from the top down. Uh, and Bob asked the question, and I think it's just an awesome question, is perhaps we need to be thinking about what are the seven valleys? What are the seven valleys that God is calling us to descend to? You know he mentioned some, like human trafficking. Uh, which is an increasing issue in our world, refugee populations uh, leaving places uh, fleeing from frontline war, war zones, global po- poverty, which is only increasing uh, right now in light of the covid uh, crisis, homeless population that 's growing the, the gap between the rich and the poor that is that is spreading uh, you know various types of addictions and drug addictions alcohol addictions um, you know Bob has a heart for you know the prison ministry, so he, he mentions that as maybe a valley you know I think in our context in our Uh, where we're living right now uh, we should perhaps be asking questions around uh, the segregation separation of uh, of uh, the city from our first nations population uh, on the reserves Uh, but we need to be asking the question i believe not what ladder is god asking us to ascend to but what valleys he's inviting us to descend to now, listen to this in Isaiah 40, which Mark has already referred to and alluded to uh, in verses 3 and 4. Uh, if remember, you, you remember this from Mark chapter 1. Um, God is calling, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. That's how the Gospel of Mark starts. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Excuse me. And every mountain and hill made low. And rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. Every valley will be raised up. Every mountain will be brought low. And we see the this picture of a plain. These prairies. Is it that? That God has a special affinity for the prairies? I hope not. I mean, I left the prairies a long time ago, and I love the mountains. Don't get me wrong. But he's using this as a picture, as a a beautiful symbol. And what what is he saying? That when the kingdom of God comes, you know, the mountains, the idols that we've built up in our culture are going to be torn down and brought low. Uh, Those who are in the lowest places, those who have who don't have a voice, those who don't have resources, those who feel powerless, are going to actually be raised up. And we see the equality of the kingdom happening in, in this picture of the plane, of level playing field, that we as sons and daughters of God will all be on a level playing field. So it's not just that God has affinity for the prairies. No, he's, he's using this to talk about equality and that the role of the Jesus follower is to move from our mountains that... Thankfully, God gives us these moments, these mountaintop experiences to change us and transform us, but we're not supposed to stay there. We're supposed to follow him from the mountain to the valley, to the cross, and participate with him in bringing the valleys up and the mountains down. The kingdom of God is a flat land in that sense. And so, Son West, may we see that the Bible points to Jesus. We thank God for his written word because without it we wouldn't know Jesus. And we thank you, uh, we thank God that he revealed his son. But the living word is Jesus himself, God's son. May you cherish your mountaintop experiences. I, I pray that you have them. I pray that God meets you in unique times and places and changes you to be more like his son, to reflect the glory of God. But may you find strength and courage from those experiences and what you've seen to go down to the, ball, to, to the valleys. May we be a church that uses our places of influence not to coerce from the top down, but to humble, humble ourselves and to be low and to serve. May we see that the journey towards God' kingdom, coming to earth as it is in heaven, is always a journey towards the cross. That the crucifixion always happens before resurrection. That the dissension happens before the ascension. So in this time, let's posture ourselves. And yes, Jesus is the one full of glory. But let's not be mistaken. The glory doesn't stay on the mountaintop. The glory is fully revealed on the cross. And that's why he told his disciples, be quiet until after after my death. Because that's when we'll fully understand the way that God's kingdom works. May Jesus give us the courage to follow him where he's leading. Amen. Thanks, worship team, uh, for leading us again, and I uh, just want to take a moment to thank all of our uh, all of our folks. Uh, you know, I think of of Chris, uh, Pastor Chris, and I think of of Rob uh, Ledham, who's been uh, helping put church at home online every single week. I think of the worship teams that are coming in regularly and and still serving us and pointing us to Jesus. Um, you guys uh, have been called at a time such as this to lead us, so we, we just huge thank you to you. Um, I want to just leave you with a couple of questions of reflection. Uh, have you uh, ever used the Bible uh, have you ever seen sorry, have you ever seen the Bible used to prop up a personal or political agenda? Uh, and have you ever done it? Uh, what is the difference between following Jesus and following the Bible? Do you see a difference between those two? Uh, does that idea make you uncomfortable? Why, why does and it does for a lot of us? Why does that make us uncomfortable? Um, that following the Bible might not be the same thing as following Jesus Uh, reflect on that talk about that uh, maybe in your group or uh, in your family Uh, what are the mountaintop experiences in your life that have most shaped your faith how have you tried to make those moments permanent can we relate to the disciples where we've just tried to hang on to those and revisit those and go back to those and you know if I could just stay here forever Um, but how have they helped you when you have found yourself actually descending into the valley how have they comforted you those mountaintop experiences, and then lastly, what are the valleys in our world that you believe God is asking you to be a part of raising up? What are the valleys He's inviting you to descend to, so you can po- co-partner with Him as you raise up uh, that valley? Uh, I'm going to be joining the uh, the post service group uh, that anybody can join any Sunday. You'll see the link. Uh, on the, I don't know if it's below me or beside me, uh, wherever it is on the Facebook feed here, uh, there, there's a link to a post service group at 11 a.m. Uh, where we discuss these types of questions or other questions that might come up. Uh, love the dialogue with you. We invite you to be, be a part of that. Uh, but may you uh, go in peace. May you go in courage. Uh, I pray that you do have these mountaintop experiences where Jesus reveals himself to you in a profound way. Uh, But may that give you the strength and the courage to follow him and to pick up your cross uh, into the places that he's called us to be, salt and light in a world that desperately needs hope. Amen.